Good morning. And good morning. We have a very awesome panel for you this morning as we wrap up our series on Next Generations. And so glad you're joining us as we wrap up this series. Uh, before I get into what's coming next for next week, I want to give this time for them to introduce themselves. So I'm going to start down with Miss Maribel at the end. You need to share your name, which I already ruined. But then also, uh, how long you've been around E3? And then let's uh, throw you off a little bit. We didn't run through this and run, run through, but favorite color. Oh, that's easy. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, most of you, if not all of you, should know me. Um, I'm Maribel Rivera. I am the E3 Kids Director here. I have been here for 12 years now, um, since my son was one, and he's 13. So, yeah, and my favorite color is green. Yeah. We have some green people in the house, all right. I'm Martha Hanna. Um, I think our family's been here about almost 16 years. We've been involved with E3. I tried to figure it out this morning. Um, I'm a family nurse practitioner, um, mother of three, and my favorite color is pink. Yeah. So, more pink than green. Okay, now we know. So, There's pink in her shoes. Uh, I'm Dan Bellamy. Uh, I have been at E3 five-ish years uh, somewhere around there. I, I am the one on up here that is not a parent, but I was full-time youth minister for about 10 years, and I'm still involved in working with our youth here, and I uh, have my MDiv and my DMIN. So I've been around ministry and youth and kids and ages of people for a very long time. So. And so it's Dr. Dan Bellamy is at Winter on Street, right? Uh, Dan will be fine. Okay, fine. fine Unless fine, I'm fine. doing a balloon program, there then we can go. go with Dr. Dan. <laughs> oh, favorite color? Blue. Blue. I'm so sorry. Blue Forgot the, the most important thing. All right. And I'm Scott. I'm pastor here in red, of course. So there we go. There's the boo, the ubiquitous boo for the color red. Um, we're excited to, to wrap up the series, but also to give us some focus to answer your questions that have been sent in anonymously over the past few weeks about ministering to the next generation of teens. And it's not just the parent's job. Uh, so I want to point out that there will be a lot of questions that may be directed towards parents. Dan may or may not answer them, but uh, that's okay. We're excited to, to give everyone in this room information because it's up to us to raise up the next generation of pastors, the next generation of missionaries, and the next generation of all that we are here at Element 3 Church, which is quite a bit. Uh, two weeks ago, I gave two main points that I felt like the, the next generation truly does need. That's authentic, uh, sorry, deep faith, deep faith, authentic faith too, and then authentic community, that those two things will prep and prime our next generation best out of anything. I want to connect us to the next week in that line as well. We're going to be doing a new series called Expect Re Resurrection. Expect Resurrection. It'll be a three-week series that takes us into, very appropriately, Easter. So we'd love for you to come back next week as we tackle the, basically the five W questions about resurrection. Who, what will we look like, what will we be like, uh, where will it be? I'll tell you when exactly this resurrection will occur. <laughs> and then why, why? Uh, Pastor Mike will be leading us into the why next week, so we're excited to, to jump into that series next week. For right now, we have several questions to jump into. Talking to a generation that is very different from even 10 years ago and incredibly different from 100 years ago. Life has changed drastically in 100 years like it never has in the history of humanity and there are unforeseen consequences of that change, and yet our faith stays consistent 
but also adaptable. A little paradox for you this morning to jump in. So the first question is a little bit just personal. How have you best shared your faith with teens in your sphere or your influence, specifically in these years? And let's say you know teenagers start 10. Some teenagers start around 16, 18. Some of us in this room are still teenagers, and we're a little bit older than, than the typical years. But we're looking to, to focus on that, that prime year of, of where they're transitioning in so many different ways. We'll start with Maribel. How have you best shared your faith with teens? So I think I'm in a unique position because I'm an educator as well as a parent. And in today's educational realm, um, you're supposed to be an unbiased um, source for students. Um, so I can't necessarily come out and say, you know, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe. This is what you should believe, that kind of thing. Um, but I do make space for the conversations to happen uh, when students bring that up um, and allow them to be able to share their beliefs um, with some kind of ground rules so that respect, you know, is had on both sides. Um, with my own children, it started from, you know, when they were in my stomach. Um, just leading by example and, and surrounding them um, with coming to church, you know, reading the word, asking questions, um, exploring their own faith and their own beliefs, um, because I think that that's the best way for my own kids to personally grow is by questioning. Um, I didn't get that as I grew up, even though I grew up in the church. You know, it's more so I believe this, so you believe this, so you believe this kind of thing. Um, so I just wanted to make space for my kids to be able to have that chance. Great answer. I can kind of follow what Maribel was saying. I was talking to our oldest just a few minutes ago, and I said, okay, what's your opinion? What do you think? And she said, well, you and Daddy always let us ask questions. You didn't pretend to know everything. It was a safe place. So you walk it out, but then you don't pretend to know it all either. Ask those questions. Let them have a chance to figure it out from themselves. To me, the teenage years are when they're changing from transitioning from the faith you've taught them to their own faith. Mm. And so it's pretty important to give them some an opportunity to ask the questions, maybe know some of the answers, but not all of them. And um, just guide them, but being very honest, very authentic. Stay involved with them. Get them out involved. We took our youngest on a mission trip at nine. So we walked it out, you know, involving them in, getting them active outreach ministry, finding a church that everybody feels good at. You know, that's hard, but a very authentic, safe place. I, I connect a lot to relationship and modeling. And I realize the relationship dynamic is a lot different when it's your own kids, but then it can be easy to really invest in that as if it's a relationship that you need to work out on. And I see some people do it incredibly well, but I also know at moments, especially in the teen years, because I'll, I'll tell you, a youth minister may see your kid being absolutely amazing, and they may come home and act like this spawned <laughs> evil monster, and people give them compliments, and you're like, that's not my child <laughs> that you're talking about. Whereas, you know, outside the context of the home, people might really be seeing what you've invested in that child, even if you're not feeling it when they go through a bit of a teenage rebellion phase. So I would connect to relationship and modeling. 
Uh, because what you, having the relationship gives you the, the ability, some sense of, and authority is not quite the right word, but, but earned, earned respect for them listening in their, your life, for any adult in their life, and especially parents, which when that relationship's there, when your kid knows that you love them no matter what they go through, that relationship gives automatically some sense of listening, even if they don't act like they're listening at home. But then modeling, because if you say, hey, we believe in Scripture, this is our value, but then you're not actually living it out, they see that more quickly than anybody else because they are around you all the time. You know, that doesn't mean we don't mess up, but when the model fails, say, hey, I'm not living up to my own expectations, acknowledge it and work on it. Because if you're not, if you're not true and honest about it, they'll, they'll see the hypocrisy creeping in. Whereas if you say, hey, we are all growing, you know, and do your best to model it, they're going to reflect that model and live that out even more than the words. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always laugh because our kids and our teens learn how to lie from us. Because to Dan's face, I'm, I'm cheerful and nice. And then behind closed doors where they have ears, I say, that Dan Bellamy is a, you know what? Uh, I'm here what not. do you say about I'm just me? kidding. <laughs> but in all honesty, that's where they learn that it's okay sometimes to lie in societal situations. And how much do we lie about our faith walk where I profess on Sunday and then Saturday night, whew, let's go party. It's okay to party. With that, how would you, how would you like to think through how what could you could you have done in your teen's faith walk now if you could go in time machine marty mcfly back to 1985 what would you do differently okay i'll lead off silence um i wish that we could go back and find a church like e3 for all of our children mm. <laughs> brayton grew up the youngest grew up here but the other two did not. They were in a much more traditional, much more conservative, and as Katie put it, pretty fake, pretty fake um, was where she would put it, that I think finding a place that was really authentic, knowing God loves them just the way they are, a lot less fire and brimstone, I wish we'd done, been able to do that for all of them. I would say, and I'm just being honest, um, my kids for the most part, have grown up in this church, right? Um, because Leo's 13, Tatiana's 16, and Asia, she's 20. Um, she's been the most diverse child who has gone to several churches with me. Um, so I think for me, there was a point in Asia's life that I stopped going to church um, due to personal life circumstances or whatever. Um, I think if I could do anything different would be to show her that no matter what is going on in your life, God is your safe space. And that turning, well, not necessarily turning your back, but forgetting that, even if for a brief moment, um, can, can harm you or, or hinder you in your personal and spiritual growth in the long run. Hmm. Thanks for honesty. I appreciate that. That's really, both really great answers. Dan, anything from your context as a youth minister that you've done poorly you wish you wouldn't have done? Obviously, there are moments that I would adjust for a particular youth over the years. And I'll just, I'll just say that 
remembering that every person is unique. Mm-hmm. And you're going to goof. Uh, you're going to have moments that you look back on and you cringe and go, oh, with the wisdom of another decade, that was a terrible way to handle that. And I probably scarred that person. <laughs> you know, and I know it happens anytime you're investing in people of any age, right. you're going to have moments that the interaction goes in a way that you would, that if you had a time machine, you'd go, ah, I do that differently. But the the bright point to that is if we learn from it and grow from it, then we can help the next person better. Uh, and with your own kids, you've got a long time with them. And as long as they know you love them, they'll they'll forgive the goof-ups over time and you'll grow beyond them. But, you know, just knowing that the best thing I can do with my failures is learn from them and grow from them instead of, dwelling in the negative of them because if we get trapped in that negative then it taints what's going forward great point what brag a little bit what have you done well in those teens in sharing your faith with them what have what would you recommend to others you did awesome i guess i could start for (laughs) once um making sure that they know that i that i love them am invested in their life of course that's that's even more important for the parent and hopefully a little more automatic for the parent. But people don't, well, they just don't care what you have to say or what you're even trying to model unless they know you love them. So doing things to show that I love them, being at events when I can, being just genuinely showing that I care about their lives, bothering to pull forward the energy even on a tired day to make them feel welcomed and loved because some days it's hard, especially with the people. I find that the more comfortable I get with someone, the easier it is to not give them my best. Mm -hmm. And I know that's even more difficult with family and the people that feel a little bit like they automatically have to love you and be there. (laughs) It's easy to not be our best for those people. So getting that relational stuff well when I've done it well. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. I think for me, um, having that space where my kids can talk, right? Like making room for like those deep conversations and trying, (laughs) trying to listen to their point of view, however skewed it may be. (laughs) Um, and just like opening up their thought process to other avenues, you know, because we do live in a society where it's social media driven. It's very media heavy, right? So our teens especially are very much influenced by that. Um, so helping them see the difference between, you know, specific biases that may come across, uh, opinion versus fact, um, and, and just... God's truth versus worldly truth, um, I think really has helped, you know, with, uh, with my children's growth. So. I think admitting that you don't know it all, <laughs> being honest always, no matter what, no matter how hard it is, how much it might be difficult to be honest at that moment, saying you're sorry, <laughs> That one's tough, admitting Mm -hmm. you were wrong. You know, 
you realize they put you up on a pedestal at some point and then you start coming down off that pedestal. But they need to know that you're not perfect and you didn't always get it right. And it's okay if they don't either, you know. But I think being honest, seeing your strengths, but seeing your weaknesses, knowing you're real. I'm hearing a theme emerge <laughs> over these questions. What do you do with a kid who, who, who runs away from the faith that you want them to go into versus sticking where you have kind of encamped yourself? How do you deal with them in that, in that situation and saying, Mom, Dad, I'm out? I'm, and this is not on the question that we prepared, by the way, but it is, it is, a, it is a question that comes to Thanks, that authenticity <laughs> and that safeness that there are times where kids say, I'm out or I'm going you know, a different version of the faith maybe than maybe I'm, I grew up at or I tried to raise them in. So I, I think a temptation is to really push kids hard. Yeah. And I think one of the most difficult realities to that is most people, when you push them hard in a direction they don't want to go, instead of getting them the direction you don't want them, that you want them to go, they push back harder against you. So making sure that they know that you love them and you are there for them Constantly reflecting the values and making sure that when you do have an opportunity to discuss it, make sure that what you're saying is, is really on a good foundation. Because opinions matter, but if they're having deep questions of faith mm -hmm. and you're getting into an apologetics type realm conversation, but you're building straw man arguments that whether you'll accept what they're saying or not, they don't feel like your arguments make sense then your arguments are maybe even doing more harm than good. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Saying I don't know is okay. Mm -hmm. You Repeat that. Saying I don't know is okay. Okay, good, good, good. I yes. sure we get that across. Uh, like I said, in the midst of it, modeled values are huge yeah. because yeah. A, a lot of students will drift away from faith at some point in life. Yeah. Uh, getting a little bit ahead of things, in, in college, a lot of students drift away from church for a little while. But if they've got a good foundations, many times they'll come back, especially when they start having children, and start realizing, oh, wow, I, wanna, I want my children to be in church. So make sure that they know that you love them, and don't sacrifice the relationship in the midst of the frustration, because you're their parent, and, and they love you, and whether they show it or not, they want that relationship to be good, and whether they act like it or not, they're not going to throw away what you've raised them with uh, nonchalantly. So even if they seem like they've drift, hang with them. Don't throw that relationship away because as long as that relationship is there, you can help them make that journey back to faith. Whereas if the relationship's not there, if it's severed, it's hard for you to be that person in their life or one of the people in their life because it's always... It's always a journey of community with faith. Well said. Uh, no, and I want to add on that it's not just the parents who they're going to run away from. It's, the, it's a church community yeah. who, who yeah. may happen. And it's for everybody, including Dr. Dan Bellamy, to, to keep that connection, not just the parents. I just want to point that in. Maribel, Martha, anything to add to that? That was well said, Dan. He said it. <laughs> Very eloquently. Yes. Well done. Uh, how do you motivate an apathetic teen? So, 
Yeah. Are you going to stand up? And, and, uh... <laughs> I, I might. I mean, this might take the whole rest of the time. <laughs> so I'm really big into getting to the root of why, right? Why is this happening? Why are you feeling this way? What's going on? What's your thought process? Um, because if I can determine where the root cause of this apathy lies, and I think it's also different depending on the, the focus of their apathy, right? Um, they could be super excited about one thing, but very apathetic about another, you know? Um, you can start helping them to come out of that or away from that if you know the root source, right? So it goes back to kind of thematically what we've been talking about is communication, right? Talking to your teen about, hey, I've noticed these characteristics emerging in you, whether it's your actions or your words, maybe it's your, the look on your face, maybe it's the newly unkempt room that is <laughs> permeating this disgusting smell, you know, just any, anything, anything, right, that you see some sort of change in your kid. Um, sitting down and talking to them can really help guide the resolution. Hmm to that apathy, right? But also, on the flip side of it, giving them a little bit of room to kind of, here's what I see, here's what we can do to fix it. When you're ready to talk, come talk to me, right? Not forcing the issue, because when you force too much, whether you're a parent or a leader, they tend to run away. Mm. They tend to clam up and they don't want to open up and talk to you. Mm -hmm. um, so just knowing your kid, too, right? Knowing how they operate, what their personality is like, um, can really help you um, when dealing with an apathetic teen. I would say, too, so you've got a disinterest, and they don't want to do this, this, and this. We'll find what they are interested in. Show up. Be a part of it. I've played paintball in the woods, <laughs> you know? I mean... Be involved in what they are, what matters to them. And then those conversations probably happen organically. Um, I wasn't a ballet person. I rode horses. My daughter danced. I figured it out. You know, I mean, being there for them, being involved in what matters to them. Play the video games. Watch the movie that you fall asleep in ten times. I mean, just... Be there for them and Amen. figure out what makes them tick. And hopefully then they'll get interested back in whatever they're not given, you know, any concern to. Martha, are you a good paintball shooter, by the way? Well, they could always find me because I yelled when they hit me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm on the same thought process with Martha. I mean, you said amazing stuff. But I was thinking about finding the things that ignite their passions because none of us, deep down, none of us want to be apathetic. We've all got something that gets us excited. Mm -hmm. And so when we find that thing, especially if we connect what we're really wanting them to get to the thing that already ignites their passion, that helps bring them along the journey. I'm picturing a family in here that I know is not a horse family, and I haven't gotten their permission to mention them. Uh, so I will not name them by name, but they're not a horse family but their daughter is a horse person, and so they've got their daughter doing horse things, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Because it would be easy to say, uh, it's hard to 
have my kid engaging with horses. There's a lot that goes into that. It's easy to say, "Mm, not so much. But it engages her passion, so their family has made it possible, which I realize it's different families have the ability to make different things possible. But they found something their daughter was passionate about, and they made it possible for their daughter to do that. Now, that connection, their daughter knowing that they're invested, opens up other conversations. Uh, And even if you want to get really on point, I'm sure there are Christian horse camps out there. You know, there are even ways of really specifically connecting. But igniting their passion uh, and finding a way to connect that and engage it is huge. That's great answers. It seems like teens want everything and anything to be accepted and believe everything they see online is true, how do you break through and talk about Jesus or talk about Christianity as truth? All right, the panel's over. And no. <laughs> I, I think a tricky thing with online is in some ways, the teens are better at navigating facts about what's happening in the world than adults are. Teens are often better at sorting out misinformation online. Where I think it gets tricky is they see adults, like, they share, see adults in their life sharing Facebook posts. Please forgive me if you've done this. But things like, Mark Zuckerberg's going to share our private information. You have to repost this to tell them he can't do it. If you've done that, I am not judging you. I love you dearly. But your teen, when they see that, goes, well, that's not how you keep Mark Zuckerberg from sharing your private information. Wait. Yeah, I know. Okay. I'm sorry, Surprise. Scott. Okay, keep going, keep going. But when we fall for things that they think are obviously false, right. we lose a little bit of credibility for saying, hey, that thing you're seeing online is not true. So us becoming a little more savvy in understanding what they're seeing online helps because what they're, I think, less good at is understanding how those, those facts, because there, there are things that happen in the world. If they're saying, hey, this is clearly from reputable news sources this is a true thing that's happening, but you're believing something that is clearly not that, then all of a sudden when we go to the perhaps more important part of how does this fact affect my values, Mm -hmm. if we're not doing a good job discerning the information, then when it comes to discerning the values, which is what I think is more difficult for teens online, we lose some credibility in helping them assess the values that come from those facts. Because we're really trying to help them take the things online and understand them in a Christian worldview and in a lens of what Jesus is doing. So if we're good at understanding social media, I think that's an important step in helping them navigate it well. Great answer. Michael called teenagers the hypocrite police. And, and this, there's a lot to that. So if you're not walking it out, it makes it really hard to have even have this conversation. If you're not doing what we've talked about before, if you're not modeling it, if it's not real in your home, if you're not authentic, it's hard to say something else isn't real or authentic. So I have the complete opposite experience as Dan, where teens nowadays are very easily swayed by what their peers believe. So they don't fully understand the difference between a valid source and an invalid one. Um, So 
digital literacy <laughs> has, uh, has definitely played a role um, in my house and in, in some conversations that I've had with my teenagers. You know, like, is this really a valuable resource? Is this a really a valid resource? Is this something that you can hold true, you know, in forming the opinion that you have? Or is it something that's slightly skewed based on X, Y, Z, right? Usually based on your own biblical beliefs, your own Christian viewpoint, um, that type of thing. Um, and I tend to play devil's advocate a lot with my kids. You know, well, what about this? Why if this? You know, maybe this happens if. What do you think about X, Y, you know, that kind of thing? Um, just because I like to hear what they have to say. Mm -hmm. You know, it may not always agree or, or fall in line with the things that I grew up with, you know. Um, but it's very interesting to listen to some of the responses uh, coming from my kids and even some of the students that I work with. Um, but I think, again, just holding true to here's a space where you can express this. We need to be able to respect each other and the way we approach, you know, our own specific belief. Um, but let's have a conversation about it. Hmm. Let's talk about why you believe that this, this to be true. You know, what's the source of that? What is the foundation behind that? Um, and then can I offer you an alternative viewpoint. Can you respectfully listen to what I have to say so that, you know, maybe your perspective can grow a little bit or change possibly. Good work. Great answers. Fantastic answers. Uh, we are going to transition a little bit to a couple of questions that I'm going to answer and then see if you have a last word or maybe a second to last word if I have a last word after that because that's, that's, that's what I get the privilege of having. Um, but in all seriousness, there's two questions that are very profound and very great questions. Uh, the first one is, what is the best way to approach and address questions and behaviors regarding sexual orientation? Uh, that's a huge hot-button topic and one that, that every teen is having to deal with in a way that is different from 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 years ago uh, in the history of humanity. And the second one is also one that has changed drastically, and that's how do I share my teens with my teens, excuse me, my values on marriage. Uh, that also has changed dramatically in our society and the societal fabric. The first one with the sexuality question involves an openness to other opinions. The second one has an opinion that they'd like to share with their teen. And if you haven't picked up on the theme of, of authentic community, deep faith, open communication, asking questions, both those questions need to come with an openness to them. Why do you feel this way about marriage? Why do you feel this way about your sexual orientation? Allowing them to help drive the conversation and not forcing them in a box will have profound and longer lasting impacts in their own personal walks. Now, I would also add this, that there's no place where the church has won more systematic destruction of person's identities than in sexual orientation and in marriage, except for maybe salvation, peace and war, inclusion versus exclusion, we don't have a great track record. And that does, has nothing to do with anyone in this room or any other church in the world. It is a culmination of 2,000 years of work. 2,000 years of baggage is a lot of baggage. But we also have Jesus Christ. We also have the message of salvation that is unique to any other worldview. And instead of running towards the issues, we also need to equally and firstly run towards Jesus. 
Look how he engaged these questions. Look how he engaged those first 12 disciples who honestly weren't much older than the teens we're talking about in this, in this panel. Those first 12 were, were adolescents in many ways. Many were illiterate. Many had very little to come from and probably asked some similar questions that we addressed here today. I worked at Boys Town for many, many years, working in these issues of human sexuality, of issues with marriage uh, that, that we had to deal with with teens coming in, and a lot of study in this term of theological anthropology. Theological anthropology. What does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to have a gender? What does it mean to have a partner or a spouse in my gender? And there's different cultural nuances as well. We have matriarchal societies and we have patriarchal societies. And in the United States, we don't know what we are right now, just to be honest. It's not a bad thing. But see, gender and marriage are both biological, societal, familial, experiential, but also divine. And so answer those questions with an open hand. Encourage questions, not experimentation. Questions, not experimentation. You can ask questions freely without consequence. Experimentation causes damage. Grace and love not judgment or hate. Grace and love, not judgment or hate on both those questions. Last thoughts? Amen. In all honesty, I want to thank you for the panelists, for the questions that you all submitted, and for this time together. Can you give a round of applause to these three awesome people? With that, we have the awesome privilege today for our tradition of having communion once a month to celebrate in the Last Supper, to celebrate a Christian institution that was founded by Jesus Christ himself that allows everyone to come to this table because all of us, including those first 12 apostles, have baggage in our lives. Whether it be from your teenage years, from your time as a child, or any other, we need God's grace so much in our culture and in our world right now. In a moment, I'll invite you up to the tables. We have two on this side. We have one on this side and one at the back at the altar. We'd love for you to come up to receive this gift that Jesus gives to us by as symbols of both body and blood. We use gluten-free bread, and we don't have to be a part of this church or any church, but come freely to this open table and receive the gift that Christ gives you here. On the night when she was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. He said, this is my body broken for you, do this often, you do it in remembrance of me. And similarly, he took the cup on the night he was betrayed and passed it to all 12 disciples and said, take drink the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is not just mere props. This is Jesus using common elements that has transversed the history of humanity to make real his presence not outside of us, but inside of us. For as the panel professed, a transformation that occurs when we let Jesus in. So with that, let's pray over the elements, bless them, and then we'll open the table. Father, I thank you for this group assembled, for our humility and our authenticity saying we need you. And not in some sort of passive way, but in a very active way that we can come to you, our Father and allow us to rest in your grasp that was opened because of the work of Jesus Christ, your son, and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. 
that our salvation is moment by moment by moment and not just some magical day where everything changes, but we need that ongoing presence to help us discern who and just how big you are in our lives. May we take these small elements as a sign and a symbol of our reliance upon you, Jesus Christ. And may we model this to a world outside who so desperately needs it. We ask your blessing upon these elements in the hands which receive them, and we say together, amen. Come, the table is open.